0: So last week, we heard from Pastor Mike about the physical side of a godly life. Pastor Mike uh, talked about how our our body and the way that we treat our body affects our spiritual life. And today, we're going to talk about the intellectual side of a godly life, about how our mind and our will affect our spiritual life, and then next week, we're going to be talking talking about our emotions and how our emotional life is, uh, is connected to that. And all of these are facets of a godly life. And so uh, we can picture it like this pie chart where we have different uh, parts of our life. Godly life includes the physical life. The um, Bible tells us our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and that we should honor God with our bodies. In another place, the Bible tells us that we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. See, some people have thought over the years that, that, uh, that the physical part of our life is unimportant to God, that He doesn't really care, and it doesn't really affect our spiritual life, but that is not the biblical teaching. What we do in the body does matter to God, and our physical health is part of our overall spiritual health. Right? A godly life requires a godly physical life. And if you want to know more about that, you need to get onto our uh, website or, uh, or pull up the church app on your phone and go back and listen to Mike's message from last week about, uh, about that, that part of a godly life. Um, and our emotions are also part of our lives. Our emotions um, are not some undesirable facet of life that we want to tamp down and minimize in order to, to be more... Uh, logical and good and, and things. No, our, our emotions are part of us. God is an emotional person too, and he made us in his image as emotional people. And, um, and a godly life includes a godly emotional life. And just like the physical life can be unhealthy and ungodly and lead us into sin, so can our emotional life. We can get unbalanced and unhealthy in our emotions, and it can cause problems in our lives and cause, lead us into sin. And if you want to know more about that emotional side, well, you have to wait till next week, because next week, Pastor Mike will be talking about that emotional side of life. And uh, so make sure you're here next week, and, uh, and you'll hear good things about that from Pastor Mike. But today, we're talking about the third part of our chart here, the intellectual life, or the life of the mind. And this has to do with our beliefs and our convictions, and, uh, and knowing the truth, and living according to the truth. And this is going to be our main topic for today. But before we get into that, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the connections between these three aspects of our lives, because this pie chart is actually a bit misleading. On this pie chart, they're separate from one another, and there's clear definition between each section of our lives— um, and they're, they're, they're just neat separate sections, but that isn't the way that things actually work in our lives. This second image uh, better represents the interplay between these three parts of us. It shows how they overlap each other, because actually rarely are we living purely out of just one of the three, Right? When our bodies have a problem, when we're hungry or sleepy or sick, that can have a big effect on our thinking and on our emotions. Like, do you remember those Snickers commercials, you're not you when you're hungry? They did a whole bunch of them, and this one uh, was uh, about Godzilla, and in this commercial, Godzilla was a really cool guy. He's hanging out with the other guys down at the lake. He's going water skiing. He's playing ping pong until he gets hungry. And then once Godzilla gets hungry, he goes rampaging through and destroys Tokyo and he needs a Snickers bar to to calm him down. It's funny because it's true. Our physical condition affects the way that we behave, the way that we think, the way our emotions are. Um, It's all connected. And the other is also, it's not just our physical that affects the other two. When you're in a bad place emotionally, you're going to be thinking dark thoughts and it can affect your physical health. And when your beliefs and thoughts are unhealthy, that's going to affect your emotional state as well as your physical life. It's all interconnected. In in the book that we're using uh, as kind of our guide through this uh, series, uh, Master Life Together, which we have some copies of that back there if you haven't got one yet and you want to be getting the most out of this sermon series, you can pick up a copy of that and be reading along um, with the five days a week, there's a reading that... Fits the major themes that we're preaching about. Anyway, in that book, it says this. It says, your soul houses your mind, will, and emotions, and unfortunately, they don't have their own rooms. Your thoughts, desires, and emotions are intertwined and difficult to untangle. And difficult to untangle is quite an understatement, actually, uh, because this graphic is actually also misleading and overly simplistic. Um, The interplay of our physical, emotional, and intellectual lives looks more like this third picture. Um, We are complex creatures, and the interplay between our thoughts, our emotions, and our physical health is complex. And untangling them is pretty much impossible. All of our decisions are made out of a mix of our beliefs our logical reasoning, our emotional responses, and even our physical state. And the Holy Spirit wants to help us to live a holy and godly life in all of these areas. Right? God is concerned about all of you. And I mean that all of you in both senses. I mean, each one of you, all of you, God is concerned about all of you. But he's also concerned about all of each one of you. He's concerned about your whole self, including not just what you believe and what your your doctrine is, but also your emotional health and your physical health and all those things. But today we're focusing on our thinking. Our minds are important to God. What we believe and how we think are a core part of our godly life. Some people think that... uh, religion is kind of anti-intellectual and no, stop thinking, just use your emotions and use your, your blind faith to go off. No, God wants us to be thinking. Our minds and what we believe and how we think and what our philosophies are are very important to God. We need to believe the truth. If we believe lies, it will be damaging to our spiritual life. And this applies to all kinds of things in life that we need to believe the truth about, but especially um, to our beliefs about God himself and about how we can relate to him. If we believe false ideas about God, that will cause spiritual damage throughout our lives. For instance, if you believe that the God of the Bible is just one among many gods, and the God of the Buddhists or the Muslims or the Hindus are all on equal footing with Jesus— that false belief is going to have many negative effects on your spiritual life. Or if you believe that you yourself are not really simple and God has no right to judge you, that too will cause spiritual problems. Or if you think that you are so simple that no person, not even God, could love you and love the real you, and you have to put up some kind of false front or hide what you're really like, you hide your real self from everybody, that false belief will also prevent you from having a truly godly life. See, we can know the truth. Some people have doubted that there is any real truth when it comes to these spiritual issues. It's popular in our age, as it's been popular many times uh, throughout history, to deny that there is universal spiritual truth that can be known. But that way of thinking is itself a false and harmful untruth that we need to root out from our lives. Jesus told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life and he said that the truth or he said that we can know the truth and the truth will set us free the truth is out there and you can know it sometimes it's difficult to figure out what the truth is but that doesn't mean there's not truth it just means it's hard to figure it out there is truth and we can know it so we're going to look at the book of second corinthians where uh, Paul talks about a battle that's going on inside of us, a battle for our minds. There is a battle for the minds of men happening inside us uh, all the time. And, uh, and Paul talks about it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's going to be on the screen, but you can also open it up on your phone or on your, on your Bible, starting with verse 3. For though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So in our spiritual struggle, we do not wage war as the world does. We do not use the weapons that the world uses. This battle for the mind is, is different from a typical contest. It's, it's not, uh, we're not out there uh, using physical weapons or anything like that. This is a this is a spiritual struggle that's going on to control what it is that is happening in our minds. And it says that we are using spiritual weapons to bring down strongholds. And that's interesting because if you notice, this is not a defensive battle, right? Sometimes we get in that mindset where we're like, oh yeah, we as Christians have to, have to kind of bear down and we're under attack and we have to defend ourselves and hide behind a shield and that's not what's being described here. If that was the thing, then the metaphor would be something like: we are in our strong tower, and the forces of evil will never break down our gates. But that's not what it says. It says that we are going out and breaking down strongholds. We are on the offensive here, and we are attacking our foes. But what are we talking about here? We already said this is not a obviously it's not a physical thing. What's a stronghold? What's the metaphor? Um, So spiritual strongholds are are defined, basically, in the next verse, verse 5. It says, "'We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ.'" So the image of a stronghold, what it is that we're going out and attacking and and, and destroying, it represents patterns of thought or arguments or ways of thinking or mindsets that are hostile to the knowledge of God. So strongholds are attitudes, mindsets, arguments, or ways of thinking that keep us from accepting the gospel or that keep us from growing deeper in our relationships with God. And these strongholds are the battle for the mind. They're thoughts and ideas that keep us from a godly life. In the biblical phrase, they set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And they can do this in two, two different broad categories of ways that they do this. For non-Christians, the strongholds work to prevent them from accepting the gospel. They keep them from understanding and accepting salvation through Christ. And these strongholds we need to destroy these things that are stopping people from accepting and understanding the gospel. For those of us who are Christians already, there are still strongholds in our lives that are working to prevent progress towards spiritual maturity and deeper relationship with God and, and, and fruitfulness in our Christian lives. And they keep us from living a godly life, and those strongholds too must be attacked and destroyed. Now, there are some different specific strongholds in different people's lives. Uh, some people have very uh, personal things from, uh, that, are, that are in their lives that are, are very uh, unique to them, maybe not totally unique, but are more, are more rare. But there are also some things that are almost universal in the way that they are there and blocking our spiritual growth and blocking our connection to God. And I'm going to talk about a few of these that are they're relevant for both Christians and non-Christians. And hopefully, if you're not quite following what a stronghold is, these examples will give you the idea of what, what are we talking about here. So the first one, one of the most common things that we find is complacency. Uh, the stronghold of complacency says to you, I'm doing okay. Things are going pretty well. There's room in my life for improvement, sure. But overall, I'm satisfied with my life. No need to get all worked up about uh, battling strongholds and things like that, I'm just, uh, I'm doing okay. What do you think about that one? Are you complacent in your life? And a a warning before you answer that to yourself, in this area especially, actions speak louder than words you say you're not complacent, what are you doing to show that you're not complacent? Are you striving for a closer relationship with God? In the Bible, the the Apostle Paul described his own life. He said this, he said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So do you have that kind of drive to grow in your faith and get closer to God and and cultivate an ever deeper relationship with Him? Or do you struggle against the stronghold of complacency? Or for many of us, you don't even struggle against the stronghold of complacency, it's just there. (laughs) But let me say again, actions speak louder than words. Are you straining toward what is ahead and pressing on toward the goal? Another powerful stronghold in many people's lives is the stronghold of inferiority. This is where people think to themselves, God can't really love me and want a relationship with me. And if you knew half the stuff that I've done, you wouldn't want a relationship with me either. (laughs) Even if I tried to achieve spiritual maturity, I'm not capable of it. I'm not worthy of it. Do you ever have those kind of thoughts? Those kind of things are strongholds in the mind that stop the non-Christian from accepting the gospel and block the Christian from growing deeper in their faith. But the Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait (laughs) Uh, for us to to get ourselves straightened out first. He doesn't love us because we're so great. He loved us while we were still sinners. He loves us despite our unworthiness. I came across this quote from C.S. Lewis the other day. If you're on Instagram, you should follow this C.S. Lewis quote thing that I follow that every now and then I get these quotes from C.S. Lewis. And I had just seen this one and then I was prepping this sermon and I was like, oh, that quote that I read a couple days ago fits perfectly. So, uh, I recommend that for you. Anyway, here's what C.S. Lewis said in that quote. He said, No creature that deserved redemption would need to be redeemed. They that are whole need not the physician. Christ died for men precisely because men are not worth dying for to make them worth it. So you see, uh, your whatever weakness you have whatever flaws you have it doesn't matter <laughs> god loves you despite all that stuff and he died for you while you were still a sinner he loves you because you need to be redeemed and he will redeem anyone who comes to him and asks it you are loved by god yes you're sinful and unworthy but that doesn't matter jesus died for you because you are sinful and unworthy And through his death, you can be made righteous. Now, the next stronghold that's also very common, and somehow this uh, this coexists with the other one, even though it's the opposite, is the stronghold of pride. And yeah, the same person can have both inferiority and pride. I don't know how that works, but it does. And here's the pride thought. I don't need God. I can look after myself. Thank you very much. And of course, pride often takes a more subtle form, which is kind of just like, I don't need to pray about this thing, I can do this part on myself. Or even a simple lack of thankfulness for the things that God has given you is a form of pride and independence from God. So do you see how attitudes like this, these ways of thinking, prevent us from making progress and from getting closer to God? These are strongholds or examples of strongholds in many people's lives that need to be defeated. They're they're thoughts and ideas that are not true and need to be destroyed. For some people, they have, like I said before, they have unique and personal strongholds, and some of them are very widespread. But according to 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons that we fight with are divinely empowered to demolish strongholds. So if you connected with any of those, or if you can think of other strongholds in your mind, and you feel like, I can't do anything about it, not true. We have ways to demolish strongholds. And I want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, how we can go about taking on these strongholds. And there's a story from the Old Testament story in the Bible that illustrates some of our spiritual weapons really well. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting story because uh, it's an actual physical battle that takes place in, uh, in ancient Israel, but they don't fight it in the normal way. They fight it in a spiritual way, and it illustrates really well how we can, um, how we can fight against the strongholds in our lives. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 20, and our story begins when it's a good time in the history of Judah. They had a lot of ups and downs, if you read through the, the Bible, where uh, there were good kings that led the people to worship God well, and then there were bad kings who led the people into uh, into sin. But this was a good time. Um, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah in Jerusalem, and even though I'm sure people made fun of him when he was younger because of his name, he was a good guy. Uh, Jehoshaphat was a good king, and, uh, and he... Uh, he even, uh, he, he followed in the footsteps of his ancestor David, led the people to worship God. He even sent out teachers into all the towns around the country to teach people the Bible. And, uh, and it was a, a really good spiritual time, uh, one of the high points in the, uh, the history of the land of Judah. And then one day, a messenger brought Jehoshaphat a very, very disturbing message. He said, there is a huge army on its way here to attack us in Jerusalem. They come from beyond the Dead Sea. There are three kings who have formed an alliance against you. They're already in En Gedi, which En Gedi is on the Israel side of the Dead Sea, and that's uh, within the borders, and they're about a two-day's journey from Jerusalem. And Jehoshaphat was afraid. He didn't see any way that his army was going to be able to stand up against these three nations that had allied against him. So in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse three, we have uh, how he and the people of Judah responded. It says, "Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So they came together at the temple uh, in Jerusalem there, and Jehoshaphat prayed to God. And he asked God to keep his promises to the people and deliver them from this foe. He says, we built this temple so that if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in distress, and you will hear us and save us. And then the climax of the prayer comes in verse 12, where he says, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So, Jehoshaphat recognizes a a battle that he cannot win. And he says, God, I'm trusting you. I need you to save us. So, God tells them. He sends a prophet that uh, tells them what exactly to do. He says, go out and meet the enemy in battle tomorrow. They're going to be coming up at such and such place. Gives them an exact location. This is where you should go. And then God says, I will fight for you and deliver you from your enemies. So, early in the morning... They all get together, and they start out to meet the approaching army. And as they're forming up in ranks outside the city gates, the king starts giving orders. He says, okay, here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put all the musicians and the singers in the front. And they're going to go first, and they're going to sing praise to God as we march into battle. And then listen to what God does in verse uh, Verse 22. It says, uh, As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So, what were the weapons that Jehoshaphat and his people used to fight this battle? Well, first of all, they went to prayer. And prayer should always be our first, our first uh, step, our first part of um, trying to demolish strongholds, because God is the one who really has power to demolish the strongholds in our lives. He has given us weapons to fight with, and He expects us to fight, but it's really God who defeats the enemy, right? So pray to Him. Ask God to help you in your struggle against whatever it is that is is harming your spiritual life, and He will produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. And then also, if we look at Jehoshaphat's prayer, um, we didn't read all of it here, but there's, it's about 10 or 12 verses here. You can read that, and you can see that he made some references to things from Scripture because he knew his Bible, and so he was able to refer to it in time of need. And, and he didn't have to look stuff up in order to know what it said. He knew what God had told him in his word about how he would help him. And uh, when they had need, that they could go to him and he he would help. And that's the second weapon that we see him using here is the Scriptures. The Bible is great at breaking down strongholds because most of the time the strongholds are based on lies. And the Bible reveals those lies and shows us what the truth of the matter is. And if we know what the Bible says, like Jehoshaphat did, without having to search for it and all, that, all the better. Um, the memorized Word of God, it's a powerful weapon in our spiritual lives. Um, Bible studies, Sunday school classes, Scripture memory programs, personal devotional time reading the Word, these are all ways that we fight against strongholds. We need to be in the Bible, reading, studying, Think about those three examples that we talked about earlier, complacency, inferiority, pride. What are they all based on? They're all based on lies. And the Bible teaches us the truth about all of those issues. Third weapon that we see in this story is worship. So have you ever thought about worship as a weapon But worshiping God through music, as they did in the story there, is a powerful thing to use in the battle for our minds. Now, I'm not saying just singing songs is a weapon that we can use, because you can sing songs and not really be worshiping, right? But when you're actually worshiping God through music, um, you are, are able to deal with these strongholds in your life, because... As we worship God, our relationship with Him grows closer, and, and His reality in your life becomes more and more clear, and His power th- flows through you, and strongholds are no match for a true worshiper of God you might think that this kind of worship affects our emotions more than it does our thinking, and we're supposed to be talking about thinking here, but it does affect your emotions more than your thinking, but remember what we said, it's all connected. (laughs) So if you want to think right, you need to have right emotions. Um, And yeah, uh, singing worship to God is, is a more emotional experience, but it's all connected. If you want the right thoughts, you need to have these great worship experiences And singing a song that connects you with the truth and the emotion and the communion with God, that corrects your thinking. Fourth weapon we find in this story is obedience to God's commands. And this really stands out with this story of Jehoshaphat and his people because the the instructions that God gave them in how to fight the battle were bad strategy. They were in Jerusalem Jerusalem is a fortress city. It sits on top of a big hill. It has walls around it. It is quite a fortress. Um, And when you are outnumbered, it is a huge advantage to be in a fortress defending uh, that rather than out in an open field of battle. But God said, no, don't don't stay in your fortress. Go out and march out to this pass and meet them out there. Not a good idea. Um, And then, of course, putting the singers at the front and all that is also... That's crazy strategy, Um, but uh, Jehoshaphat and his people knew they had faith that what God told them to do was the right thing to do. Even if it didn't seem right to them, it was the right thing to do. So if we're going to be more than conquerors and demolish strongholds with our divinely empowered weapons, we need to do what God tells us to do even when what God tells us to do doesn't really make sense, we need to believe that uh, what God is telling us to do, He will keep us safe and give us the victory. And really, let's be honest, most of the time God's instructions are not really scary or dangerous or, or crazy. They're just things that we don't want to do. <laughs> but uh, it, Even when when God's instructions are inconvenient, we need to obey the things that God is telling us to do. And when we follow God's instructions, that's when we experience more of God in our lives and come to trust Him more, and He gives us victories in our lives over the strongholds that are stopping our growth. We learn to think better when we act better because all these aspects of our lives are interconnected. Interconnected. So these are some of the ways that we can win the spiritual battle for the mind. Pray to God and ask Him to help you to identify the bad patterns and thoughts that are preventing you from living a godly life. Then ask Him to give you victory over those things. Get to know your Bible so that you know the truth. Spend time reading the Word, studying the Word, being in church where you're being taught the Word. Memory verse challenge next week. It's not too late. You can uh, pick up a card today or pull it up on your app, memorize the verse, and you might even get some free ice cream as well as fighting against the strongholds in your life. We're talking about right thinking and having a godly mindset. Your Bible is the number one tool for correcting your thinking. God has given us the Bible, and it has all the truth that we need in it. But it doesn't do us any good if we're not using it, so let's Let God's Word fill your mind, and you will find victory over these strongholds in your thinking. We also need to be worshiping God, and really the best way for that is just to be here on the weekend services and have our band and our worship leaders leading us in worship together in community, and we can connect with God in worship. Um, That is a great part of your spiritual life. And we need to be obeying God and living according to his instructions so that we can know him better and learn to trust him more. A godly life is a life of godly thinking. So use the weapons that God has given us to demolish the false ways of thinking that set themselves up to keep us from the knowledge of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need your help to know the truth and to understand it and accept it. Lord, may you show us how to use these weapons that you've given us to fight against these these blockages in our mind, these bad ways of thinking. Lord, we need freedom from them. I pray that you would help us to demolish these things. Amen.